The following contains foul language and situations riddled with a myriad of obscenities. Lesser discretion is definitely advised. Welcome to Strung Out on the Dream. I'm Gregory Valen's love, and I'm coming at you from the 412, via the 323, via the 310, via the 818, via the 213, and some that used to be. And Strung Out on the Dream. We are going to get down with everything that is wild, wild weird, weird, wonderful, wonderful extravagant, extravagant, mysterious, and way, way the, the fuck, fuck out. Anyway, that's what this whole podcast is really about. Being able to agree to dis a motherfucking agree. Can you get down with that? Agree to dis a motherfucking agree. Okay? Now that's. That's evolution. Yeah. So, I want to encourage y'all. So give me an email. Shoot it to me right now from the bottom of your freaking iPad. Shoot me up at strung out on the dream at Valens. Dot rocks like get your rocks off, baby. And give it to me straight. Tell me what you're thinking.
In our very first episode of Strung Out on a Dream, we're going to get down with Plato's The Allegory of the Cave. In The Allegory of the Cave, Plato describes a group of people who have lived chained to the wall of a cave all their lives, facing a blank wall. The people watch shadows projected on the wall from objects passing in front of a fire behind them and give names to these shadows. The shadows are the prisoner's reality but are not curious representations of the real world. See, the shadows represent the fragment of reality that we cannot normally perceive through our senses. while the objects under the sun represent the true forms of objects that we can only perceive through reason. Socrates explains how the prisoner is then freed from a cave and comes to the understand that the shadows on the wall are actually not the direct sources of the images seen. Oh. Now, this gets deep here. See, Plato begins by having Socrates ask Glucon about to imagine a cave where people have been imprisoned from childhood, but not from birth. These prisoners are chained so that their legs and necks are fixed, forcing them to gaze at the wall in front of them and not to look around them or behind them or at each other or even themselves. See, behind the prisoners is a fire. And between the fire and the prisoners is a raised walkway with a low wall behind which people walk carrying objects or puppets of men and other living things. The people walk behind the wall so their bodies do not cast shadows for the prisoners to see, see. But the objects they do carry. Just as a puppet, showmen have screens in front of them at which they work their puppeteeringness. How the hell did I start channeling George W? Socrates suggests that the shadows are reality from the prisoners because they've never seen anything else. They don't realize that what they see are shadows of objects in front of a fire, much less that these objects are inspired by real things outside the cave, which they do not see, say. Socrates then supposed that, that, that these prisoners are released. A free prisoner would look around and see the fire. The light would hurt his eyes and make it difficult for him to see, see? The objects cashing the shadows. If he were told that what he is seeing is real instead of the other version of reality he sees on the wall, he would not believe it. In his pain, Socrates continues, the freed prisoner would turn away and run back to what he is accustomed to, the shadows of the carried objects. Ooh, 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 ooh. 
see the light would hurt his eyes, and he would escape by turning away to the things which he was unable to look at, and these he would believe to be the ear of the two things that were being shown to him. Ew. We all know someone like that, don't we? Suppose that someone would drag him by force up to the rough ascent, the steep way up and never stop until he could drag him up into the light of the sun. The prisoner would be angry and in pain. And this would only be worsened when he would see the radiant light of the sun, that which would overwhelm his eyes and blind him. Slowly, his eyes would adjust to the light of the sun. First, he could see only shadows. Gradually, he can see only reflections of people and things in the water and then see only the people and things in themselves. Eventually, he's able to look at the stars and the moon until finally he can look beyond the sun itself. He, he can, can look, look straight into the motherfucking sun. sun. But we haven't gotten there yet. We gotta get out the motherfucking cave. You see what I'm saying? So, that's the hard part. Can you get out the cave? Can you start, stop looking at the shadows on the walls? Calling them reality? at something and say I think I'm gonna think of this myself I think I'm gonna have my own version of reality I'm gonna see see I don't know you as crazy as me well you don't have to be let's get down with this and that's all I got to say see so I'll see you in episode 3 be sure to get back to me let me show in a parable to what extent our nature is enlightened or unenlightened. Envision human figures living in an underground cave with a long entrance across the whole width of the cave. Here they have been from their childhood and have their legs and necks chained so that they cannot move and can only see before them being prevented by the chains from turning their heads around. Above and behind them, a fire is blazing at a distance. They see only their own shadows, which the fire throws on the opposite wall of the cave. For how could they see anything but the shadows if they were never allowed to move their heads? Between the fire and the prisoners, there is a raised way and a low wall built along the way like the screen which puppet players have in front of them over which they show the puppets. Do you see men passing along the wall carrying all sorts of articles which they hold projected above the wall? Statues of men and animals made of wood and stone and various materials? 
of the objects which are being carried in like manner, they would only see the shadows. And if they were able to converse with one another, would they not suppose that they were naming what was actually before them? And suppose further that there was an echo which came from the wall. Would they not be sure to think when one of the passers-by spoke that the voice came from the passing shadows? To them, the truth would be literally nothing but the shadows of the images. And now look again and see what will naturally follow if one of the prisoners is released. At first, when he is liberated and compelled suddenly to stand up and turn his head round and look towards the light, all this would hurt him and he would be much too dazzled to see distinctly those things whose shadows he had seen before. And then conceive someone saying to him that what he saw before was an illusion. But that now, when he's approaching nearer to reality and his eyes turn toward more real existence, he has a clearer vision. What will be his reply? And you may further imagine that his instructor is pointing to the objects as they pass and requiring him to name them. Will he not be perplexed? Will he not think that the shadows which he formerly saw are truer than the objects which are now shown to him. And suppose once more that he is reluctantly dragged up a steep and rugged ascent and held fast until he is forced into the presence of the sun himself. When he approaches the light, his eyes will be dazzled and he will not be able to see anything at all of what are now called realities. He will require to grow accustomed to the sight of the upper world. And first he will see the shadows best. Next the reflections of objects in the water and then the objects themselves. Then he will gaze upon the stars and the spangled heavens and the light of the moon. He will see the sky and the stars by night. Last of all, he will be able to see the sun. And not mere reflections of it in the water, but he will see the sun in its own proper place and not in another. And he will contemplate the sun as it is. Will he not then proceed to argue that it is the sun who gives the season and the years and is the guardian of all that is in the visible world and in a certain way the cause of all things which his fellows have been accustomed to behold? Clearly he would first see the sun and then reason about it. And when he remembered his old habitation and what was the wisdom of the cave and his fellow prisoners, do you not suppose that he would bless himself for the change and pity them? And if they were in the habit of conferring honors 
among themselves on those who were the quickest to observe the passing shadows and to remark which of them went before and which followed after and which were together and who were therefore best able to draw conclusions as to the future. Do you think that he would care for such honors and glories or envy the possessors of them? Would he not say with Homer, better to be the poor servant of a poor master and to endure anything rather than think as they do and live after their manner. Imagine once more such a one coming suddenly out of the sun to be replaced in his old situation. Would he not be certain to have his eyes full of darkness? And if there were a contest of measuring the shadows and he had to compete with the prisoners who had never moved out of the den, while his sight was still weak and before his eyes had become steady, wouldn't they all laugh at him and say he had spoiled his eyesight by going up there? And that it was better not to even think of ascending? <laughs> and if anyone tried to release another, and lead him up to the light. Let them only catch the offender, and they would put him to death. It is the task of the enlightened, not only to ascend to learning and to see the good, but to be willing to descend again to those prisoners and to share their troubles and their honors whether they are worth having or not. And this they must do, even with the prospect of death. They shall give of their help to one another, wherever each class is able to help the community.